0: Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for insightful analysis and enlightening discussions. Thanks for being with us today. I'm Michael Bull, your host to the world of commercial real estate. Well, self-proclaimed at least, right? (laughs) Well, we have a treat for you today. Merging Trends in Real Estate 2015. This is a heck of a report, and we're gonna tell you why it's important, and we're gonna give you some uh, top strategies and tips from this report to get an idea of what might happen in 2015. Please welcome my guests, Byron Carlock and Mitch Rochelle with PwC. They're both partners with PwC. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having us. Well, we appreciate it. And uh, first of all, give us an idea on this report. How many years has this thing been going on? How many people do you interview? What type of information are you using to generate this information?
1: So 36 years, so we're closing in on 40, 36 years. Uh, this year record number of participants. So we got online surveys from 1400 market participants in North America and we did face to face interviews and we're still here to talk about it cause it's exhausting, <laughs> uh, with 400. So it's really a record turnout for us and who they are. It's really every walk of life in commercial real estate from people in the service business to developers, to contractors, to investors, foreign and domestic.
0: And you're also using a lot of uh, information, a lot of numbers, right, on the economy and real estate uh, that you put together. Uh, and who all's involved in this, putting this together? No. Uh, PWC is very involved. Yeah, about. so we've
1: been doing it for about 15 years in partnership with the Urban Land Institute. And the the scale of the vast membership of ULI has really gotten us the insights that we wouldn't be able to get if we just sort of did it all on our own. So it's been a really terrific partnership. And a shout-out to Andy Warren, who's not here today, who's our chief researcher in PWC. Excellent researcher, And then
2: this will debut in New York next week. Mm-hmm. at the uh, Urban Land Institute Fall Conference. Nice. That's perfect. Well, first of all, if you could start us out, what are expectations from
0: these participants about the, the market, about profitability, and how does, what is the
1: trend there? Is everybody more positive now? So in 2010, we decided to do something reckless and ask market participants about the prospects for profitability in the industry. But this is back in 2009 for Emerging Trends 2010 Not a pretty picture, as you can see on the screen. It was pretty Uh, rough. A little rough, right? So 17 and change percent were positive, and the vast majority, 60% plus, were very, very pessimistic. Last year, uh, I thought we were entering bubble territory because we had almost 70% of the market participants being favorable. This year, it's about 75%, right? So um, what that tells me is the enthusiasm for market participants continues to grow. But what's really interesting is we ask the, uh, the participants about the prospects for profitability and we don't define what that is. Mm-hmm. So it's in the eye of the responder. So earlier I mentioned sort of the array of the different folks who are in real estate who respond to the survey. So this is statistically valid that every walk of life in the commercial real estate world and even the residential real estate world who participates in it is very optimistic about the prospects for 2015 and beyond.
0: And that's good, and hope they're not too optimistic, not too much overbuilding yet,
1: right? (laughs) Yeah, and I think we'll cover, the in one of your segments to follow, the the bubble risk, and if we're there yet. Yeah, and let's talk about,
0: you've got 10 top trends here for 2015, and the first one's very interesting, the
1: 18-hour city comes of age. What do you mean there? So, uh, I'm going to tee it up, and I'm going to turn it to Byron to Mm -hmm. take it to the next level, but... The Emerging Trends publication actually coined the phrase 24-hour city about 20 years ago. And if you look at coming out of a recession where all of the investment dollars were flowing, they were flowing to those relatively stable 24-hour cities. But what we've realized is Americans don't necessarily want to live or can't afford to live or companies can't afford to do business in some of those gateway cities because they're somewhat cost prohibitive and that's given rise to the 18-hour city so we're hoping to coin the phrase the 18-hour city. That's great and what are some of these 18-hour cities?
2: Well if you think about the great cities in North America that allow someone to live, work, walk within their neighborhood working environment. New York, San Francisco would be the most obvious examples. All the coastal cities, frankly, mm-hmm. the sexy six of, of New York, D.C., Miami, L.A., San Francisco. Those are
0: the 24-hour cities, mm-hmm. right? Right,
2: okay. right. And then you see other cities trying to mimic the um, trends of urbanization to create more vibrant living cores uh, that allow for the services to follow and you're seeing the organic growth of urban neighborhoods that are providing that 18-hour day experience.
1: And sort of to the comment you made earlier about data, so we 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 see this happening and what what's fun about emerging trends is we get all this insight from interviewees and um, survey respondents, but then we just have to try to validate it with data. So one of the things we looked at is the three-year population growth of the 70-plus cities that are in the survey, and some of them pop out as being really ahead of the curve from a population growth perspective. Um, Houston, Austin, San Francisco, which is a 24-hour city, uh, DFW, Denver, Charlotte, Raleigh, Durham, and let's not forget Washington, D.C. So Washington, D.C., a 24-hour city, but it's one of those ones that still has high population growth uh, in the urban core. And the mega trend of urbanization is something that we need to focus on globally. And I know Byron and I were on your show uh, talking about a publication we did about seven months ago, um, Real Estate 2020, which focused on those mega trends. This is sort of bearing out on a more micro basis with these cities, but those are the ones to focus on. And that's where investors wanna um, allocate capital. Okay, so
0: these 18-hour cities are attracting more capital. I guess they're attracting more jobs and, and just more growth overall. Absolutely. Okay. And what about the changing age game, uh, number
1: two? What is... So what's interesting is the Bureau of Labor Statistics defines the workforce mm-hmm. as 16-year-olds to 64-year-olds. So what we, what's really interesting is you have 64-year-olds and plus exiting the workforce, and you have 16-year-olds entering the workforce. The problem is there's a lot more exiting than entering. So what's happening is we have a sort of fight for jobs, fight for talent um and the millennials and baby boomers are sort of the two most important cohorts last year in emerging trends we focused tremendously on the millennials this year we're focusing equally if not more on the baby boomers because lifestyle decisions being made by the baby boomers are going to be greater in number of lifestyle decisions than their uh, their children which are the millennials so where to live where to retire whether or not i want to work in retirement because i'm in that sort of exiting the workforce are really going to be interesting decisions which are going to impact um, housing impact office space impact retail really and, and impact the, the lodging industry from a tourism perspective
0: Are there any surprises there in this aging game that maybe we thought uh, baby boomers would uh, uh, help the retirement uh, neighborhoods and and second homes? I
1: I think the only surprise is the uncertainty Mm -hmm. about whether or not baby boomers want to work Mm -hmm. in retirement or not. And um, I think there's a lot of data still yet to be sorted out. Um, But baby boomers will, and I I started the response talking about the 64-year-olds statistically exiting the workforce. I don't know in reality whether or not they will be. And if they're still somewhat employed, may not be gainfully, but if they're somewhat employed, then there's currency that's going to help the economy and help them with those lifestyle decisions and have an impact on where they live.
2: And it's becoming more and more documented that on the bottom end, there's a skill set gap for available jobs in the marketplace especially in the professional markets in the major cities and so that allows some of the boomers to actually keep their jobs longer because the millennials and the unemployed workforce may not have the skills necessary to step into the jobs that are needed
0: i guess that's making it a little harder
1: for millennials to get into the workforce right if, the, if these old guys just won't leave <laughs> right. um, and maybe there's a place for both you yeah. know it's interesting uh, we did a awesome interview in the car with you when you picked us up at the airport. But one of the things we were talking about was the reality that we don't quite know what the decisions are going to be that millennials make. Uh, Do they want to rent for the rest of their life? Uh, Do they want to live in the suburbs? Do they want to stay urban in this live, work, play model? Uh, but what's interesting is the baby boomers are making some of those same decisions. So you take a market like Austin, Texas. The urban population br- growth isn't necessarily correlated with millennial population growth because um, retirees are moving to places like Austin. And it's a quality of life decision. All right. Yeah.
0: All right, let's go to number three, labor markets trending toward tipping point.
1: And uh, so I teased that a little bit in my response to the to the previous one, mm-hmm. and that's really just a function of the fact that we have this skills gap. So mm-hmm. another cool chart that unfortunately anybody listening to this in the car will drive off the road if they try <laughs> to look at it, is there's a gap between the demand for talent in certain markets and the available talent in that market. So the chart that you're looking at, if you are looking as live, looks at available jobs that require some college or more, and the, the, the workforce having those attributes, and the fact of the matter is a market like New York has just not enough workers for the demand for talent. So what's interesting, and I'll sort of end the segment with this, one of the big takeaways from emerging trends is that jobs chase people, and it's not the other way around.
0: That's interesting. Well, we're going to have more trends, top trends from emerging trends. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by your friends at Bull Realty. When your business requires proven performance, visit bullrealty.com or call 800-408-BULL. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, our topic is emerging trends 2015 we have byron carlick and mitch rochelle they're both partners with pwc discussing the emerging trends report for 2015 and uh number four is love hate relationship with technology i mean technology is a big part of commercial real estate moving forward isn't it
1: yeah so the the soundbite is The real estate industry is very analog in a digital world. And that is the essence of Mm -hmm. the love-hate relationship. There's a lot of participants that just don't want to embrace the notion of technology and technology that we have today is by definition disruptive. So there's this tension in the industry about whether or not we're going to become digital. Right. So yeah.
0: Well, the old school commercial real estate folks—they uh, don't like disruption, right? Things are going fine, right? Well, you, right.
1: I'll let Byron answer, but just—he's got a broken
2: BlackBerry. I just want to throw <laughs> it. <laughs> it's a man who needs some disruption. I'm a slow adopter, but it's—it's uh, it's all around us. And you yeah. think—you think about the data that comes from um, the analytics programs that we use in. Uh, evaluating markets. Mm-hmm. You you look at the locational devices for looking at real estate from the air on a device. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at the ability to uh, find a place to stay online and how reservations are made online leasing in apartments uh, even behavior in the office when you think about uh, someone can telecommute and get their job done without going to their office physically is changing the way office space is used through technology so you can go around the wheel of almost every utilization in all the product types and see that technology is changing the way we use real estate
1: and the thing about the disruptive nature of technological advancement is the speed. And one of the mega trends that we focus on a lot is the speed of innovation. So I'll just throw this out there. It took 75 years for the telephone to have 50 million users. If you sort of get to the modern era, it took four years for the World Wide Web to have 50 million users, and it took um, Facebook about three and a half years to get to the same level. But by comparison, it took Candy Crush three days to have 50 million (laughs) downloads. That's a very superior. uh, (laughs) But the fact of the matter is the rate of adoption of something that's accepted is lightning fast. So I think you can't underestimate the impact of things like the internet's use of um, finding space. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an example. There are companies in the lodging industry that find lodging for people that are basically using their own home. I'm going out of my way not to use brand names, but there are two companies that are innovating technology to do that in the office space. Mm-hmm. So that may just completely change the the way we find space for users 2,000 square feet in less yeah and then you also have crowdfunding,
0: right? so maybe the raise, the way that people raise capital or invest capital in
1: real estate deals could change as well right i yeah I think we've been talking about the peer to peer lending mm-hmm. nature. Mm-hmm. People feel like real estate's popular around the world because of its it's a tangible asset class, and I think there's something. Uh, magical about it that people want to participate in it. But it's out of reach because you have to aggregate a lot of wealth to buy a piece of commercial real estate. You have to aggregate a lot of wealth, quite frankly, to buy a single family home. But what if in $1,000 increments, you could somehow participate in a specific piece of real estate that you could underwrite individually, like crowdfund or, or peer-to-peer lend And lend-on. the capital
2: could be aggregated from any source in the world right. that wants right. to subscribe to that document and put up that capital. Yeah. Uh,
1: so a Malaysian investor that has a fancy for real estate could own a $1,000 increment of a loan on the biggest asset in the world. That's pretty powerful stuff. Right, and that kind of rolls
0: into, to, to skip to another one that you have, one of the trends is the 900-pound gorilla swings into view. I mean, there's a lot of people that, that may be individuals that have a, a, some
2: cash uh, sitting out there that they could invest through things like crowdfunding, right? Or they take their defined contribution plan which has not had a real estate allocation mm-hmm. and their asset managers are now creating ways for them to use their uh, defined contribution plans as a source of funding for real estate investments. And that's that pool of capital has largely been off limits to the real estate industry. And there's
1: $6 trillion in defined contribution plans. So that's IRAs and 401ks and similar vehicles, $6 trillion. And if you look at the defined benefit plan world, that around 5% is the rule of thumb for what's allocated to alternatives in commercial real estate, if a similar allocation was made in defined contribution plans, that would be a tremendous wall of capital that would hit commercial real estate
0: so that could be a pretty big 900 pound gorilla
1: yeah so we went with 900 pound gorilla as opposed to the euphemistic 800 pound gorilla and we wanted to call the 900 pound bull but michael would not (laughs) give us the rights to the name bull so apparently we're sticking with gorilla
0: and bull markets mine too i guess (laughs) and then your another trend that you have here is event risk uh is here to stay tell us about that
1: Uh, and we're not talking about the weather in atlanta that made our flights late but. You just have to turn on any news media outlet or even a social media outlet and find out that something is going on in the world that could either be natural disasters or human made crises. And the more that that happens around the world, one of the things we've done is looked at those events that have taken place in the last 10, 15, 20 years and figure out what is the commercial real estate impact of them. And Every time the same thing happens, something bad happens around the world and people look to where's the safest place for me to put money, US dollar denominated tangible assets become the happy recipient of the funds and the biggest US dollar denominated tangible asset is the commercial real estate market in the United States. So um, event risk is sadly probably here to stay but that creates an increased opportunity for capital to wash up on shore in the United States.
0: And that's an interesting comment because I think some people would think of event risk as being uh, detrimental to commercial real estate. Of course, we have had some events that were detrimental.
2: Historically, the biggest risk is a disruption in the capital markets as the result of one. Uh, And there may be one that the capital markets would respond to, but if you think about the major event risks we've seen around the world in the last six months even, capital markets have largely not responded. So you've had a lot of foreign capital uh, moving into the U.S., and you expect more, right? And we survey
1: the 1,400 folks and say, what's the biggest source of capital for 2015? Foreign investors, year over year, last three years, has been the leading source of capital for real estate. So there's got to be a correlation between that and the
2: sad status quo of event risk around the world. So if you look at the formation of sovereign wealth capital as an example, Mm -hmm. there are big allocations to the, quote, safe haven markets like the U.S. And that's a source of capital that we really haven't even uh, historically seen come into the market. And now it's coming in in a big way. And that's a a $6 trillion capital audience just in itself.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Well, here's another trend.
1: Darwinian Market keeps squeeze on companies. What do you mean there? <laughs> uh, the survival of the fittest. I have fourteen year olds, so I'm I'm up on uh, mm-hmm. grade school and high school uh, <laughs> science and stuff. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of competition out there. Technology has made created more transparency in the markets, which shines a bright light on competition and asset managers and other service providers are consolidating again as a result of competition and it's create this squeeze which you know in order to be continue to be profitable you need to be efficient and that's uh, what we're hearing a trend going forward more consolidation more focus
2: on profitability. and it's a logical spot in the recovery right now mm-hmm. to see M&A and consolidation uh, take place as people move away from individual asset transactions move away from individual asset transactions to consolidation. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, that that's good. And uh, <laughs> we like our bumper music. We start playing it early, right? We make sure that we know that the segment's over. Well, stay with us. We're going to have more on Emerging Trends 2015. I'm Michael Bull. This is The Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Florida International University. With FIU's fast Track system, you can earn your master's in real estate in just 10 months without interrupting your career. Visit FIUonline.com to learn more. That's FIUonline.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, we're talking about Emerging Trends 2015. We have Byron Carlock and Mitch Rochelle, both with partners with PwC here in Studio One in Atlanta. Thanks for being here in Atlanta. You know, Thrilled. Yeah. Thrilled. You're, you're not on Skype. You're, you're actually here. Thank you. And we're going through the top 10. But
1: we're not wearing pants. <laughs> no. And yes, we yes, we are. Yes, we are. Yes, we are.
0: And if you're listening on the radio, as a matter of fact, we are. <laughs> and if you're listening on the radio, you can check the website. Website And you can see we have some great charts these guys have provided with this information that kind of helps put it all together, so check it out. Or if you're watching it on YouTube, you're seeing it. Well, let's go to number eight as uh, one of the trends for Emerging Trends 2015. Time for the U.S. to get serious about infrastructure.
2: So if you think about the uh, postponed spending on mm-hmm. vital infrastructure in mm-hmm. cities and states, It's time to watch how we are spending. The American Society of Civil Engineers says that there's 3.6 trillion of spending on the drawing boards between now and 2020 for surface transportation, roads and bridges essentially, upgrades to the uh, air infrastructure, water and wastewater upgrades. Each of these generally is good for real estate because it spurs development. If you think about an extension of a uh, rapid transit line, at each stop you basically create a new community that's mixed-use housing retail that supports that stop. Similarly, when you expand an airport, you typically see expansion of the industrial base around that airport. Lodging. Lodging, exactly. And so we think that infrastructure spending will be very good for development and frankly it's vital for the growth of our country. And you think it is going to pick up? Indeed.
1: So I'll give you a little bit of megatrend background behind that. Mm -hmm. So between now and 2025 around the world there's gonna be a 1 billion human being increase in the world population the vast majority of that is going to be in urban centers. So if you just take uh, the big urban centers around the world, uh, New York City, Beijing, Shanghai, and London, in the next 10 years, those four cities will spend $8 trillion on infrastructure just to support the growing a to fix dilapidated ancient infrastructure and to uh, modernize to support the growing population and those cities that choose to spend the money on infrastructure, in those
0: states, they're the ones that are going to attract the jobs, right? They're going to attract the investment. They're going to attract and track the growth, and so that that'd be the place to consider investing in real estate. Yeah, Indeed.
1: Yeah. And the one other thing I'll throw out there on the topic of infrastructure, so a lot of what Byron talked about mm-hmm. is what I would call traditional infrastructure, roads, bridges, sewers, and the like. So when people close their eyes and they think about infrastructure, that's what they think about. But education and healthcare are mm-hmm. two vital elements of infrastructure in growing urban communities. So if you take New York City, where I'm from, and there's neighborhoods in Brooklyn that historically had been industrial, that had been turned into residential markets, the first thing they needed beyond housing... and just retail so people could go to the supermarket was health care and education because mm-hmm. if people are going to raise families there those families have to go, those kids have to go to school and that's not even captured in the numbers that Byron talked about because Byron rat, rattled off the elements of what I'd call traditional infrastructure.
2: But if you think about it broadly post-World War II uh, infrastructure spending was largely on our interstate system and ring roads around our major cities that promoted suburban growth think about now infrastructure being built to increase the densification as we move in mm-hmm. and so it's it's really a logical follow through to the urbanization discussion we were having earlier. Right, right. Good point. Well, number nine is
0: housing steps off the roller coaster and thank goodness, right? (laughs) It's been a rocky ride. (laughs) Yes, it really has and that's really impacted the the economy and commercial real estate, right?
1: Yeah, the one thing I'd say is the linkage between commercial real estate and Mm -hmm. single-family residential real estate is a lot stronger than people think. So you take the typical office building somewhere in America, Um, And the uses, the tenants in that building, when the housing bubble was uh, pumping up and on fire, you had uh, title companies, mortgage brokers, lawyers, construction companies. Well, when the bubble burst, a lot of those businesses sort of relocated, consolidated, and moved out. So there's clearly a linkage. Now that the housing market's coming back, we have those uses, but what's interesting is we're not reinflating the bubble. Um, There's a lot more discipline in the housing market than probably there's ever been and we're at something that we're calling equilibrium now what's interesting is there's this big millennial cohort and we talked about the millennials and the baby boomers before who are either as byron said earlier living in a parent's house and not in the uh, household formation data or they're opting to rent for a while before they buy and that's i think more good discipline that's preventing us from just reinflating that bubble and home builders aren't getting ahead of themselves and building product that they don't have demand for
2: and financing still reasonably
1: tight for a home buyer. That's mm-hmm. yeah, there's still down payment required where, you know, pre-2007 you didn't necessarily need down payment. Matter of fact, you could buy a house with 115% financing and walk away with cash, which is still a bit, a little bit of a mystery to me. So if you just look at sort of the the, the household formation data relative to the housing start data, if you look at um, disposable income levels and median house price levels, the affordability kind of got stretched when supply and demand imbalance wasn't there and housing prices were going sky high just because there just wasn't the product and people did want to buy because there was pent-up demand. But I think we're getting to the point where the housing market is somewhat self-regulated and it's the checks and balances in place, and that's preventing the bubble from getting pumped up again.
0: Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on Emerging Trends 2015. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by Realnex, providing a comprehensive suite of powerful commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low cost. Visit realnex.com. That's R-E-A-L-N-E-X. Welcome back, I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today we're talking about emerging trends in 2015, the large ULI PwC report. This is a fantastic report about what we expect to see in 2015, and we're going to talk about some tips related to what's going to happen. My guests are Byron Carlock and Mitch Rochelle. They're partners with PwC, and guys, number 10, I like this one, people are always concerned about this one, keeping an eye on the bubble, emerging
1: concerns. So the the good news is from trough to trough in cycles, those periods, looking back through history, have gotten longer and longer. So the average of all the cycles that we've had since 1990 has been uh, 105 months and we're 63 months into this cycle. So that's a good thing. Um, but I think uh, as we said in the previous segment, I think the discipline, if we're just talking about real estate, not just a general macroeconomic cycle, the discipline that exists in the market today, not just the residential market, which we were talking about before, but even commercial real estate and lending standards, and the way the capital's being aggregated and the way capital is being underwritten. It's just there's a lot more um, regulation aside. there's just a lot more, good behavior taking place as opposed to what in the past we saw was bad behavior, and I think that's preventing the bubble from getting reinflated.
2: And well, extending the recovery,
0: frankly. And I heard an analyst on Fox Business said that uh, the slow recovery was helping commercial real estate. Yeah, industry. you're looking at that analyst, <laughs> yes. uh, and, uh,
1: but I was not popular on Twitter after I made that <laughs> comment. But,
0: you know, I, I think it, it makes sense. I mean, a slower recovery means us people are, are jumping in, the, the windows open longer to invest and, and make moves, and you don't have to jump in all of a sudden. And, and make bad moves, right? That's right.
1: And I think we'll get into it when we talk about the best bets in a bit, mm-hmm. but markets that look pricey mm-hmm. may in fact be pricey, but they're not symptomatic of every market across the country, and okay. there's opportunities in other places.
0: So there's not much concern among your participants in your study
1: about a bubble? I, I'll, I, I'll answer my way, and Byron's in more than welcome to mm-hmm. take a counterpoint, but when you look at the sentiment which we started the show with being mm-hmm. as positive as it is, mm-hmm. and you realize the diversity of who responds to our survey, that didn't scream to me of bubble. Um, when I first saw the data, that was my reaction, but then in pouring through 400 interviews and talking to people, the optimism doesn't, the word bubble doesn't come up. There are things that I would call bubblettes in certain markets that something's just a little frothy. But what's interesting is for the last two, three years, all the value creation was cap rate compression. A lot of that driven by the yield curve being as low as it was, and real estate on a risk-adjusted basis being as attractive. But in the last two years, we've seen real NOI growth because the fundamentals are improving. They're legitimately improving, and that's what's gonna f- fuel the economy. I think uh, the, the, the title of uh, Emerging Trends is, this time it's just a little bit different than the past cycles, and we're sustaining this recovery. So I don't see near-term bubble risk there's always long-term bubble risk. And it's that growth in performance uh, of these properties that
0: causes investors not to be concerned with these low cap rates they're paying, right? And feel like it's not a bubble, they're not overpaying because of the they growth. They expect rent growth. Right, right. So you can pay a two or three cap if, if you're gonna have two or 3% if increases in your NOI. Or 10 or
1: 15, in multifamily, yeah. 10 or 15%, you know, yeah. increases <laughs> in NOI. Yeah. I mean, look at the lodging industry. Mm -hmm. We we cover it uh, in our publication, Hospitality Directions. Mm -hmm. Last four years has had 6% plus RevPAR growth. Mm -hmm. So you look at the compounded effect of that, that's that's dropping to the bottom line. So uh, you can justify cap rates in the lodging industry when you've got top line growth of 6%. All right.
0: Well, let's talk about your expected best bets for 2015. I see at least five of them here, and the first one is a great time to be seeking alpha. So what's that mean?
2: Well, I think it means going to – uh, markets beyond the coastal markets looking there are there are great markets to be considering investment the texas market's example uh, is is the most robust because of the job growth there uh, workforce housing in markets that are seeing tremendous growth because of shale exploration in the dakotas and out in west texas uh, student housing storage healthcare properties uh, so there are and then adaptive reuse turning an existing well located piece of property into something that's more relevant to its neighborhood turning it into loft apartments, turning it into a new type of, of retail, repurposing an office building for housing. So there are ways to create yield in even in this frothy market.
1: And you know, we talked about healthcare infrastructure uh, in the previous segment. So we have a lot of uh, under demolished and need to be repurposed retail. You look at where that retail is in the corridor of where people live and where people work you take some of that uh, excess capacity in retail because you have the parking and you have the physical plant infrastructure and you turn it into outpatient out, health care right and even critical care you're seeing it right and, or even and we have an aging population which we didn't talk about a lot you can even you know deal with uh, you know health care for the aged in that well-located piece of real estate
0: all right and we to get to number two
1: exploit technology as an ally of real estate not an enemy so technology is your friend, <laughs> uh, and I think it really goes to what we talked about earlier in the show—the love-hate relationship. I think if you don't get on the bandwagon and realize that technology is going to make a difference, you're making a mistake. Let's talk about one element of technology, which is big data. The mm-hmm. fact of the matter is, of the data that's been accumulated in the last two years, we use less than two percent of it. Right. So you think about all that data that's out there. Um, the cloud is going to be the uh, platform. You know that. Is going to make a difference because it's going to give everybody more access to that data but if you just look at all the data that you have in your business here with customers and relationships and all that and you figure out how to analyze that data you're going to find the way forward to the the next level of your business just through data analytics.
0: Yeah, and I think commercial real estate has been slow to to look at technology. We don't like disruption, uh, but it's amazing. I'll talk to some developers who are looking to, to raise capital to go into deals, and I'll mention crowdfunding, and they're like, tell me about that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm right. like, I haven't really heard enough about that. And then you, you have investors who can be sitting in their living room uh, right now and investing ten or twenty or $50,000 in a major commercial real estate deal. Well, they're going to need to listen to the Commercial Real Estate Show for that, right? Of course. Merging technology. Well, stay stay tuned. We're going to have more tips for you. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We'll be right back. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you in part by France Media. France Media provides exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit francemediainc.com or call 404-832-8262. Welcome back. I'm Michael Ball, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. We're talking about emerging trends 2015 with Byron Carlick and Mitch Rochelle, both with PwC, and it was three more best bets quickly here to get in, in before the show ends. Number three is refinance now. Right?
1: Uh, you know it's what's right interesting? Yeah, Rachel. What's interesting yeah. is last year our survey respondents all to a person said interest rates were going to go up, and now the 10-year <laughs> Treasury is at an all-time low. So. Uh, just do it yeah, yeah. yeah just do it now and, just do it. and then develop industrials tip four you know industrial has really been the standout in the last three years asset class in terms of investor attention and it's really a supply chain story we're under industrial uh, given the role that e-commerce plays in the distribution of not just retail but just goods and, and goods not services so um industrial is undersupplied
0: yeah, and you also have housing coming back. You have, you, I see in your report, you have that last mile becoming important to get all these goods to, to people who are buying them online, right? There's going to, so not just the, the huge boxes that we need, but also maybe some smaller, smaller boxes. closer in.
1: Or if housing continues yeah. to, to sti- let, let mm-hmm. housing just sustain the growth trajectory that it's on, mm-hmm. where do those materials come from? Mm-hmm. They yeah. need to be close. If you want to build cost efficiently, the materials need to be near where the houses are being built.
0: Well, like my industrial guys, when they come on the show, they say it's the sexy sector. <laughs> industrial, you would have thunk it, right? That's right. It's super sexy. And then number five, I like that this report is is done so well. It's written so well. I urge you, if you haven't uh, read this report, get access to it. Will we have a link here yes, on the will. show? Okay. Yes, we will. Okay. So we'll have a link. Read this report. It's fantastic. And they use things like the good, bad, and the ugly. <laughs> so you know it's good. And that's talking about number five, don't give up on the suburbs.
1: Yeah, I think that... A lot of investment capital has, and mm-hmm. we'll probably end the segment talking about the hot markets across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, the suburbs have been left for dead mm-hmm. by a lot of investors, and we're seeing this urbanization trend. We've talked about it a bunch during the show. Well you just can't pack all of those people into the urban core are just gonna sprawl out and that's gonna go where the suburbs? So the concept that was created post-World War II, when urban centers just became too expensive to live and not the right place to raise the family, I think that's going to happen again. So people are going to go from the suburbs back to the city, and then maybe back to the suburbs again.
0: But there might not be the sprawl, so I think you do want to be careful, right? And it might not be outside the ring of death. It may be closer in suburbs, if you will. And I I
1: think the 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 hot markets that are suburbs are going to be urbanized suburbs. So we've been talking about for a couple of years in emerging trends the urbanization of the suburbs. Mm -hmm. So if you take a market that historically has been looked at as being suburban, like a White Plains, New York, for example, mm-hmm. okay? You look at White Plains today, and I didn't grow up too far away. It is very urban. Community in- center, yeah. live, work, walk. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. And, and you can you can do it all, right? You, you don't need a car. I mean, walkability is something that we used as a metric in the past. It's a
0: quick end of the show. What are the top markets for 2015?
1: So what's interesting is uh, my ancestral homeland in New York has fallen out of the top 10. But when I go through the top 10, you'll see that there's a trend. Houston, Austin, San Francisco, Denver, Dallas, Fort Worth, Los Angeles, Charlotte, Seattle, Boston, Raleigh-Durham, and Atlanta. Atlanta. I said it again, Atlanta. Made it, huh? Made it. You made it, Michael. It made it. So <laughs> those are the top markets to invest in? Uh, millennial growth's driving it. Urban population growth is driving it. Jobs are driving it and affordability. So one of the reasons why New York's fallen out of the top ten is A, a little concern about frothiness, maybe that bubbleette that we talked about earlier, but also housing affordability is a factor in people's minds. Yeah, and sustaining affordability. So. Um Interestingly enough, if you look at labor, we broke it down into energy labor and technology labor, because the employment growth in those two subsectors is really where the jobs are. So again, a common theme across those top 10 markets, a lot of energy-related jobs, especially in Texas, but technology jobs in some of those other markets.
0: Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today in Studio One. We appreciate you being here. For, thank you, Michael. Thanks for and having you, us. And you weathered the flight and and the we weather, did. right? That's we right. did. it <laughs>
1: all. And, and we are wearing pants, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's good.
0: And thank you for joining us out there on YouTube and Radio Land. Be sure to join us next week we'll talk about the multi-family market the apartment market's really been hot is it overheated we'll find out more next week and until next week be sure that you always lead learn and laugh and join us for the commercial real estate show the commercial real estate show is brought to you by bull realty commercial brokerage a great place to do business visit bullrealty.com RealNex, a comprehensive suite of powerful commercial real estate tools at an incredibly low price. Visit realnex.com. That's R E A L N E X. Sozo web hosting and cloud solutions. Secure, reliable, and worry free. Visit sozo.com. That's S O Z O.com. FIU, Florida International University. Earn your master's in real estate online in as little as 10 months. Visit FIUonline.com. And by France Media, providing exposure to the world of commercial real estate. Visit FranceMediaInc.com. For more information on these great companies or for additional podcasts, videos, or blogs, visit CREshow.com.